Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The news of the day, as Eric Hansen broke on Friday morning, is LSU's Mike Denbrock's expected return to Notre Dame as offensive coordinator. Eric's been all over Denbrock's potential interest since Monday on the Insider Lounge, and the Irish have made the money right to make it happen. So that's obviously where we have to start the podcast today. And to add to our discussion, we brought back on our old pal, Bob Morton, former Notre Dame offensive lineman from 2002 to 2006, which includes Denbrock's first stint with the Irish. Bob, thanks for joining us. Well, Tyler, Eric, it's a good day to be Irish. Good day to be with you guys. Bob, let's start right there. Where, what was your reaction to the Denbrock news this morning? Uh, yeah, I think it was twofold. I think uh, same sentence with a comma, right? I said, man, I love that comma, man. And I just said, I love that man. I think, uh, you know, I think that uh, when you have somebody like Mike Denbrock out there, I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm entirely biased. My three years with him, um, one of my favorite men that I ever got a chance to um, to to learn from and to be in a locker room with. And so entirely biased. But I think if you just look objectively, he checks so many boxes that we wanted in an offensive coordinator that uh, this is as close to a slam dunk as I think I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. So not that I disagree with anything, <laughs> what you said. Um, how do you feel like the Mike Denbrock Notre Dame is going to get the third time around is different from the one who coached you and the one who was with Brian Kelly? And maybe how is he the same? Yeah. So, you know, I'll say in terms of how he's the same, you know, the, Mike's now 59 years old, right? He's been in this coaching game a pretty long time. Uh, it's been over 20 years since I suited up for him. And uh, still in the in the times when he came back previously or times he's been around campus, um, you know, with other teams, uh, any opportunity that we have to catch eyes, uh, he's, he's still a guy who remembers his players and, and uh, is really kind of a player first coach, not – in the sense of letting players do whatever they want, but in sense of in the sense of he's really in this profession because he really cares about the players that are under his tutelage. So to be able to see just another generation uh, of players uh, and really another generation of college football have his thumbprint on it at Notre Dame is really exciting for me. Um, some of the ways I think he's he's different. You know, he um, he's coached not only different places but different position groups. Right. One of the big check check marks for me is not only that he's coming as a tight ends coach to fill a, a hole that we have at the tight ends position, but you've got some turnover at the tackle position for next year. And that's what he coached at Notre Dame his first stint. You've got a whole lot of turnover at the wide receiver position for next year. And that's a position that he's coached extensively as well. And so uh, but he's not he's not just in one of those pigeonholes anymore. His experience with different coaches different offensive coordinators has really given him an insight of how all those positions work together to really build a successful scheme. And, uh, and so the biggest change I think comes from the last time he was at Notre Dame to now, you know, the last time he was at Notre Dame, I, I think the year he was the offensive coordinator, we were better than the year before. I think it was like, we were like 72nd to 40th somewhere in, in the country in terms of offenses year over year. But anecdotally, there were some games, I remember a monsoon game, that it just didn't feel like 
the the game plan went necessarily how I would have envisioned that to go. But you look at what he did at Cincinnati, um, going from 123rd ranked offense to the 20th ranked offense over two years. You look at what he did at LSU, going from the 80s to the 20s to the first uh, ranked offense over the course of a couple of years. Um, this guy, he's now got a track record of success that is as big as the personality he brings into a, a coach's office. And uh, that's that's uh, that's something we should be proud to have. Yeah, Bob, I think the thing that Mike, but when you just look at Mike Denbrock's resume, obviously his familiarity with Notre Dame, it just made so much sense that he could be or should be the guy for Notre Dame to attract back. But it was just wasn't clear if, OK, can Notre Dame actually make that happen with all the success he's had? at LSU and the amount of money that he's being paid down there. I'm curious as it relates to Notre Dame's acquisition of Riley Leonard, this, this off season, does Mike Dembrock's experience with Jaden Daniels at LSU influence your thoughts on how well the Riley Leonard experience could go? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, uh, all that I had heard previously about uh, coach Parker is that, ideally the offense that he wanted to run would have included kind of a dual threat quarterback. And so Riley Leonard was the type of quarterback that he really envisioned in how his offense kind of played out, but dealing in hypotheticals and dealing in experience are two very different things. You're dealing with somebody who took a very good um, dual threat running and throwing quarterback and uh, turned in the most prolific offense in the country. And now we're looking at um, while uh, chemistry yet to be built, we're looking at a successful dual threat quarterback um, in uh, it, with a team that's got a lot of experience elsewhere. And the hope would be that we'd be able to turn in a pretty prolific offense here in South Bend as well. I think that um, it, it it's another thing, his experience with Jaden Daniels in that offense, that is just kind of a, yep, check. That makes complete sense to me. So it's, it's interesting when um, Marcus hired Mike Brown, people are like, Ah, he's hiring his buddy. He's familiar with him. I don't know. And then um, he hires Denbrock today. It's a home run <laughs> from the same people. <laughs> and, and those guys are very familiar too. In fact, Denbrock and Gino Caduli and Mike Brown and Mike Mickens, uh, who's on defense, all had some overlap at Cincinnati. Um, I'm wondering what you think the familiarity will bring to Notre Dame? I mean, in terms of helping Notre Dame and is there the downside to having the familiarity that sometimes people associate that with? Yeah. So I I think on the positive side, it smooths out transitions in a major way. You know, oftentimes I think, you know, fans really want the best scheme or the best, you know, the best kind of home run hire imaginable. And they think of the biggest name and can we attract that person to Notre Dame? And they don't understand, like, there's a big personality and an ego and um, and and sometimes burnt bridges behind that person that make the transition to a working relationship not tenuous as much as it is like it needs to be intentional. When you have individuals who have worked together before, um, you at least have the the freedom of conversation to be like, hey, listen, how do we want this to look? You know what I mean? Like if it's like two players who played together for a long time, learn how to start next to each other. You know, hey, listen, I was expecting you to do this and you didn't. 
And being able to talk through something when you know that person is a whole lot different than trying to start a brand new relationship. The downside, I mean, listen, we've seen the downside at, at Notre Dame too, right? Like you have, you know, when you have coaches that have ascended to Notre Dame and brought their entire staff with them, I'm just going to say on a on a widespread level, not specifically, there are some of those coaches that aren't necessarily Notre Dame caliber. They are there because they've been with that head coach for an extended period of time. And you have that at a lot of programs. We've seen that play out uh, over the last, you know, 25, 30 years, you know, at Notre Dame from time to time. And so I think that uh, what excites me about the Mike Brown hire, the Denbrock hire, is not that these guys, uh, yes, they're familiar with working with Coach Freeman. They'll have to get used to his head coaching style. But more importantly, they've had success outside of that kind of, line adjacent to coach Freeman they've seen how things are done at other programs and they're going to bring that success and that experience to South Bend Bob I wanted to get you to reflect a little bit more on your time with Mike Denbrock what was it about him that you appreciated about him the way he went about his business and, and the job he did as a coach another day yeah I think that um one of the things that I I had him for a losing season and a 500 season were the two years that I played. Um, the, the nine and three year was my freshman year. I didn't get a whole lot of playing time there. What I appreciate is when things aren't going well and he, he, he wears that with you. He goes through that kind of fire with his players. Um, and he just had a couple, he just had ways of saying things that just made sense. And it would be, you know, we'd be in the middle of a third quarter, no momentum, getting a hold, get a holding call and then a false start. And all of a sudden it's first and 25. And we would be watching film the next day as an offense. And Denbrock would be like first and 25. And he would like show you the playbook and be like, you call the play. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you can complain about what the offensive coordinator is calling all you want, but at first and 25, what, what are you calling up to get us back to where we need to be, to get us back to the sticks. And I did, I always I just appreciated that, right? It was like a thing of, hey, listen, we coaches will take our responsibility, but we're sharing responsibility with you. And he never threw us under the bus, but he always treated us like men. Um, and the other thing that I really liked about Denbrock, I'll never forget the first time I heard him speak. This is going to sound crazy that this is just a, a imprinted memory. He spoke at a uh, a pep rally in front of the entire student body, and he talked about all of the reasons why you know, he might like coaching at USC. And it was like, nice weather. And you can wake up, you know, late on Sundays and and still catch, you know, football, whatever it was. It was like these really short things of why he would love living in California. And he goes, but here's a reason why I love being at Notre Dame. And he threw a scroll from the podium he was speaking at that spanned like the entire length of the basketball floor at, at, what was then the Joyce Center, now Purcell Pavilion. Just, it was a scroll. And as it rolled past my feet, he had written hundreds of different reasons why he was thrilled to be at Notre Dame. He didn't just write some Latin phrases. He didn't just write, <laughs> you know, like abacadabra and same letters over and over again. He had written hundreds of these things on this scroll and threw it across the entire gym floor. And I just remember thinking to myself, like of everybody that's here, this guy cares about this team, this school, this place, 
Like, yeah, he's in it with us. I loved it. Still think of it to this day. Bob, when, I mean, you had the Willingham group of coaches, then you had the Charlie Weiss group of coaches. So you were around a lot of different assistants. And I'm wondering, as a player, do you kind of weigh in in your mind of who you think is going to end up being a really good coach someday or somebody that has head coaching potential or that? Do you do you make those assessments or you just follow orders? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, as as you kind of grow into the position a, a little bit and you're not just, you know, yes, sirring to whoever is, you know, saying your name, wearing, you know, coach's gear, you start to kind of look and see like, what are the qualities that would make a great head coach? Not just a, a, a Ty Willingham replica, but who would be a good coach in their own right? And um, I just look at it this way. I really appreciated my time with John McDonnell as a center and guards coach, but in terms of what really it was able to take me from my freshman year, you know, sitting there behind Jeff Fain to being able to make the the, the team and start my sophomore year, um, listening to Mike Denbrock, who wasn't even my direct coach, influenced me more than some of the things I was learning from my direct position coach. So he was already coaching beyond the, the borders of his position then. And so you just saw somebody who is a worthy leader of men, um, even that young in his career. I wanted to follow up on this. There are a couple of things, and it's interesting what you said is outside the boundaries, and he doesn't seem to um, to offend the coach whose boundaries he is. So it was interesting to me first because John McDonnell, I go, whatever happened to that cat? I'm looking him up last night, and it's like, oh, my God, he's a senior analyst at LSU. So those two are back together. And then when he was the – Offensive coordinator here, you know, we had Mike on a weekly segment on radio for a year um, when he was calling plays for Notre Dame, and he talked about his relationship with Deshaun Kaiser, and he was not the quarterback's coach. So my question is this, since you have the experience with him when it was McDonnell and Denbrock, how might he be helpful with off the offensive line development, um, especially with the two new tackles coming in, and how might he affect the interior guys? Yeah, 100%. I think the question even goes beyond that. How does having someone who's coached offensive line, tackles, tight ends, receivers, all over the offense? Quarterbacks, everything yeah. but running backs. Yeah, like how does that overall help the offensive scheme that he's going to be put together? I think offensive coordinators, when they develop their system, can oftentimes not coach the team they have. They can coach the team that they really want to have, right? And um, when you have coached all of those individual positions, you've also evaluated all of those individual positions. And so you're able to trust your eye with all of those positions, not just the relationship you have with your assistant coach. Um, I would love to have an offensive coordinator who's obviously meeting one-on-one -on -one with the quarterback, who's running the show, who has his position group, but is able to sit there and look at these, you know, new tackles, maybe these guards and centers who are in different positions now and, and coach them, not just in the technique that their coach is dealing with every single day, but to say, do you understand how you fit in this scheme? If you are able to block like this, 
it unlocks a part of the playbook that is really successful. Receivers, if you are able to stack the cornerback, even if you're not getting the ball, if you're able to block 10 yards downfield, it unlocks the type of plays that takes us from a nine-win team to a 12-win team. He's able to sit there and see the little things because the coaches have to deal with the very minute details of offensive line talk, hand placement, and and you know making sure that you're you're getting your power steps in the ground, all your cleats are in the ground, your your body position, everything. But to have the coordinator say, "Hey, listen, if you do all of that and you're able to do this one extra thing." You are taking us from being a great team to an elite team. And he has the ability to speak to all of those position groups and all of the athletes that are in those positions. It It's a monumental thing to have a coordinator who's comfortable able to do that. Bob, from when the opening happened, Eric's reporting indicated that Mike Denbrock would listen, but it would require a lot of money to make it happen. Um, and obviously Notre Dame was able to make that happen. So what are your thoughts on what this says about Notre Dame's willingness to pay at a high level to acquire coaches and what that says about the alignment within the university, the athletic department, um, with what Marcus Freeman wants to do with this program? Yeah, so it's super interesting. You're working at the university, right? We're in such a a new place overall, incoming new president. Mm-hmm. Um, incoming, uh, you know, Pete is, is already kind of up and running, but it will be a, a brand new, um, athletic director. There's just a, a lot of changes from that. I think there's a lot of things that I've heard even from people, benefactors that I work with, just assuming that because it's new people, that's why this got done. I can't speak to any of that, but what I will say is it feels really good that in the midst of people saying this was going to take a while to get done, we needed to be patient. I feel like That's all we ever hear is Notre Dame fans need to be patient. In the midst of of all of this, there was a list of people that we wanted to attract. Denbrock was at the top of that list. He was the offensive coordinator of the number one offense in the country last year. He has Notre Dame ties, and he's saying it's going to take a good bit of money to get him out of the SEC, and today he's Irish. I think that all I can and will say about that is it feels really damn good (laughs) that yesterday – it felt like we don't we know what we need to do will Notre Dame do it and today it seems like Notre Dame did it whatever happened behind the scenes I can't speak to but man it feels really good Bob I had a source that told me that one of the things that Mike is um, excited about is working with Riley Leonard on his downfield passing game if if Mike called you up and said Bob let's go out for a beverage and I'd like to get your thoughts about what what Notre Dame's offense should look like with me at the offensive coordinator. What would your hopes be that he wouldn't ignore you about <laughs> when you had suggestions? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I uh, man, I, I would love, I would love to be able to have conversations like that, not in the sense of this is what I think it should look like, but just to hear what his vision is for things. But I think the the one thing that I would say is I would I would like an offense that that builds on the easy decisions and keeps a defense on its heels. And and here's what I mean by that. When you have a successful running game and you have defenses putting nine guys in the box, the easy decision is you got to get to the outside or throw the ball. You don't run into the teeth, teeth of that defense. 
So make the easy decision and build an offense that can check out of a bad play into a good one. Not check every play, but just check out of a bad play into a good one. And then I think if you're going to have a successful running game, you have to. Your 1B to a successful running game is a really successful downfield play action game. And so um, if we had an offense that that was aggressive and um, kept defenses on their heels, even if there are miscues here and there, you can deal with those. I just I don't think Notre Dame should be aiming to play it safe offensively with the weapons that I think we're going to end up having. Bob, I think what's among the most impressive things to me is just how this whole month has played out for Notre Dame within the program. At, at the beginning, it looks kind of odd with um, Chancey Stuckey getting fired. Um, so a bunch of wide receivers entered in the transfer portal, more players entered the transfer portal, which I think was expected. Um, but then since then, they've they've hired a wide receivers coach. They hired a new strength coach. They kept their entire recruiting class together and got them all to sign. Um, and then you go out and, and finish sort of the to do list here with with getting Mike Denbrock as offensive coordinator. What does it, what does that say? And I like how impressive is that to you that Notre Dame has been able to sort of make things all sort of fit together with, when so many moving pieces were happening in this last few weeks. So, so interesting, right? Like when you go back to Tobias Merriweather and Braylon James entering the portal and the conversation was, is Rico going to stay, right? Like, and then when Rico left, the question was, what's the next like domino to fall that's going to show that all of this growth was kind of a sham? Mm -hmm. What negative thing has happened since? <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like we we get the receiver coach that that maybe fans weren't sure of, but I'll tell you what, the receivers in the room and the receivers coming in were so sure of him. Like they were excited about him, right? And then we get the transfer that the transfers that fix some of the holes we have in the roster now. And listen, yeah, there are people who are frustrated about quarterback development, but we, we need a bridge to get to that development that is, I think, right on the other side of Riley Leonard. Mm -hmm. And we are still able to hold together a really impressive high school recruiting class. I mean, listen, it, I, I'm, just, I'm so impressed. I think I texted Eric one time about the, the transfer portal as players were leaving, just saying like, hey, listen, I need you to keep me away from the cliff. <laughs> and he just kind of told me that everything was kind of expected at that point. And, and since that point, it's it's all been a trajectory upward. I think that says an awful lot uh, about the the quality of work that Marcus Freeman does on the recruiting trail, the openness of communication that our recruiting coaches do with our high school athletes. I also think it has a lot to say about what Notre Dame is offering transfers who are coming in to be a part of the Notre Dame network and really experience the possibility of life after Notre Dame and life after football. Hunter Biven and, and a lot of the folks around the mm -hmm. program are doing some great things there. And uh, I mean, listen, I'm going to add one last thing that it comes out of left field a little bit. You have two former quarterbacks from Notre Dame who are transferring back to Notre Dame to get their degrees. And I'm telling you, those guys, they're going to be on film somewhere within the program talking about their experience in the portal 
And it's it's just it's a great opportunity for Notre Dame to say, hey, come here, graduate. There are still opportunities for you if you don't want to play here. But but this is where you come to make a lifetime decision. I I mean, it it looks really golden right now. Bob, you can correct me. I don't think that Denbrock was either involved in your recruiting or your retention once there was the coaching change from Davies' regime to Willingham, correct? Yeah, so um, I met him on my official visit to uh, to Notre Dame. My recruiter at Stanford that then came to South Bend was Buzz Preston, the running backs coach. Okay. Um, but my, my, obviously I built a relationship with all the coaches thereafter and it was John McDonnell and Mike Denbrock that I really got to know and kind of, you know, chopped up some film with before I left that weekend. Okay. So I'm asking you in this context of him not recruiting you per se, but you knowing his personality. Now he was a dynamic recruiter in both his times here. Uh, last time, especially he was very active in California. Now that's more when recruiting was more territorial than it was position based what's your sense of um why he is such a good recruiter the second part of it is do you feel like he will expand beyond just recruiting tight ends that he'll get heavily involved in all offensive positions so in terms of the why i think he's just a really believable and trustworthy individual um i think there are individuals who like can sell cars, right? Who just sell you on your, you're going to have a great experience. We're going to take care of your son, mom, and dad, and it's going to be great, right? Like, you know, the winters aren't that cold in South Bend and you get there and now we can't, you can't sell cars anymore, right? Because once they get to a winter in South Bend, boom, they can be in the portal and go back to where it's warm. Um, but then there are people who just count their words really carefully and who sit there and say, hey, listen, the winters in South Bend are brutal, but we get three months of sunshine and we make it count. You know what I mean? Like they, they're just honest. And and they and again, he's a guy that makes you feel like. There's going to be some time when you're in the trenches and you're never going to be alone in the trenches. And I think when you have these young men and their families hearing that. It's better that they heard that honest bit from from the coach rather than learning it from somewhere else and just hoping it's not true at Notre Dame in terms of his recruiting outside the tight end position. Listen, one thing that's really great about Notre Dame is you, I mean, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing in the world and you can just be lazy about it, but when you're one of two schools in the country that can call themselves tight end university and, and you've had, you know, an NFL tight end going back to the year 2000, there, there comes a point in time where, you know, you've got a few folks and you're like, I need one of these guys every year and we're going to keep on growing. And a lot of his time can be spent building out the pieces of his offense. One of the things I do in my job as I'm trying to you know, raise scholarship funds for the university is I'm always trying to introduce the people I work with, the donor, to somebody inside the university that makes them feel like, oh, this is more important. This is a more important meeting than just hanging out with Bob. I think for an offensive line coach or a receiver coach or a running backs coach, the quarterback coach, to be able to say, hey, listen, you want to know how you fit in our offense? Let's get some one-on-one -on -one time with you and the offensive coordinator. And you want to see, you know, those three, four, five-star guys hearing from the coordinator. These are the plans that I would have if your skill set came into this offense. I mean, that's that's the card that I expect that he's going to start playing in those recruiting meetings. Well, Bob, the 
most important meeting on my agenda today was with you. So I, I don't want you to feel like uh, you're not an important meeting. No, I'm, I'm I, listen, I, I appreciate it, but you know, we can just like chop it up with Bob. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> we're, just, we're just hanging out talking about something that I could talk about for a whole lot longer too. You know, one of the things last last story, unless you prompt me for another one, um, this was pre NIL days. And so uh, my, our coaches w kept us very strict on how much time all our players spent with the media. And uh, I got a nickname my sophomore year. So my first year starting my second year at Notre Dame from Mike Denbrock, he called me quote a minute Morton. And it was because anytime I spent any time with reporters, I ended up being in a lot of different articles for that week. And then Ty Willingham would call me into his office and I'd be banned from talking to the media for like three, four weeks. <laughs> so I had like one week a month that I was like all over the reports. And then I was done for another four or five weeks until they let me back out there just because I wouldn't keep my mouth shut. So I'm sure he's going to love the fact that I'm working with you guys. That's fascinating. Uh, and you were a quote a minute. I remember you. Um, <laughs> and we were very happy when you came out. And we wondered if you were in some kind of penalty box sometimes. Yes. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in there, Eric, a lot of time. Well, Bob, we have taken up way more than the 20 minutes, unless your watch is broken, that we asked from you. <laughs> Do you have any questions for us before you depart back to your working world? Yeah, you know, I think that one one of the things that and oftentimes we're in the season, right? And so we're talking about football stuff and I'm in an area that I know a lot about. This last month, right, has been um, a new recruiting world that I don't understand, an NIL world that, you know, came after me, transfer portal and all this stuff. I mean, what kind of grade would you guys give uh, this coaching staff in terms of how they've done what they've done. And, and do you think that this is what, you know, Marcus Freeman intends for an, an early off season to, or not I mean, postseason to look like for his coaching staff moving forward? Is this the picture that the, the staff wants to mold themselves after? I'll let Tyler go first. And then I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I have to give it an A. I don't know that there, I mean, the only like, bump is that the hiccup at the wide receiver position where obviously you don't want to lose as much talent from that spot um, or any position necessarily in sort of one cycle they've done a good job addressing that immediately and, and keeping the other guys intact but yeah I mean it, the fact that they were able to keep the recruiting class together I mean we're talking about the, this is going to be the third offensive coordinator that some of these guys have been committed to now granted these guys are signed now but like CJ Carr was was committed uh, to Tommy Reese and then was went through the Jared Parker experience and now is going to be playing for Mike Dembrock. And so the fact that so many of those guys are willing to stick through it, I think it sort of re reflects well on both Marcus Freeman as a head coach and their want to play for him, but also like the way he's having the staff pitch Notre Dame as bigger than just a coach or what that coach could do for you. Um, it's the relationships with the guys in your class. Um, and then obviously – what Notre Dame can do for a university beyond just your football career. Um, so yeah, just the, the way they've gone about it, I think has been very impressive. Um, and Marcus even said like, this is what we want to do moving forward. We're still, we are a high school recruiting operation first and, and the transfer portal will be used to address needs. Now I think like there's concern. And like you mentioned earlier that the Riley Leonard experience should be Notre Dame's last portal like plug and play quarterback for a while now that's the hope um and i think it would be concerning if that process continued because i don't know how long you can sort of keep that up and i don't know that that's great for your long-term health 
um, in, in an offense, but um, it seems like they have through some hiccups, certainly, especially on the playing field, they've, they've really gotten a good grasp of how to get this where they want it. And I think there's even more room to continue to improve as well, which is obviously promising. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Eric? I would give it an A and, and this is my thought. You know, it's one of those you're watching a game where the team you're rooting for is behind the whole game. Make we'll make it a basketball game. Sinks the tying bucket at the buzzer and then goes into overtime and wins in overtime. That's what this feels like. That there's been all this pressure and you feel like things are slipping away. And then at the last minute, it's like, oh my God. Um, that been able to overcome it and I, where I want to give Marcus a lot of credit is people t- always use the analogy you know moving the goalpost they really are in terms of NIL and transfer portal those dynamics are ever-changing and I'm not sure there have been a lot of coaches prior that would have been able to adjust so well I I, I would imagine that Brian Kelly would have um but but I think it's a difficult adjustment for a lot of coaches. And then given the Notre Dame dynamic on top of that, I think it's it's really interesting. All and a first time head coach. Like he's not this is a first time head coach. I mean, Brian Kelly fought for a lot of things and he did it very overtly, like uh the Jumbotron and better acoustics and field turf, and he pissed off a lot of people doing it. Marcus is kind of sneaky behind the scenes fighting his battles and, but he's winning them. And I think that's as important as anything else because it sets you up for future success. And I do think being able to convince um, the Notre Dame administration that your number one choice for offensive coordinator was worth opening up the checkbook for, I think is huge. I think, I think it is. I think it's really significant. And and I know that we would all love to just have the floodgates open and be able to like run to the store and purchase every single thing that we need, right? Let's purchase the five stars. Let's per, per, purchase all the coaches. Let's right. buy, you know, new facility, whatever it may be. But, but there is something to be excited about that um, while we are adjusting to a new landscape of, of we're, I'm still going to call it college football, while we're adjusting to that new landscape, like Notre Dame is is still true, I think, to Notre Dame and and not just saying, okay, let's dive in, mm-hmm. but they are definitely engaging these harder conversations and some of these asks that are coming their way. And um that that gets me really excited. I, I want I want to see what Notre Dame's place is going to be in the future of college football. And, um, you know, here and now, maybe this is just my Christmas spirit. Like, again, it just feels like it's a good day to be Irish, you know. And so um, being able to see where that tension will be. And I hope Notre Dame fans can find a way to be proud of that process, not frustrated that it takes us a little longer sometimes to get there than others. One thing I'll follow up with, Bob, I think there's two really important points whether they're sustainable, whether they last, it, it feels very true today. And even though Notre Dame did open up the checkbooks, it doesn't feel at all like 
Mike Denbrock is like a mercenary and I'm going to the highest bidder. It feels like these two things. One, he loves Notre Dame. And two, he believes in Marcus Freeman. Mm -hmm. And I think that drove the money made it possible for him to follow that those thoughts. But those two thoughts, whether there was money or not, if those didn't exist, he would have stayed at LSU. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, it's it's one of those things like I think the days never should have existed, but I think we're, we need to be happy that hopefully Notre Dame's out of the days of asking people to take the Notre Dame hometown discount. Right. <laughs> um, but it's, it's also like, it is, it, it feels really good knowing that we've got a guy who's got a basketball court sized list of reasons why he loves South Bend. Well, all right, Bob, that's all we got for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us and uh, joining us right before your Christmas break. So hopefully you get to enjoy some time this holiday and uh, blessings to you and your family. To and you hopefully guys, Merry your Christmas. kids are too old for you to still play, be the horse that you have to give them rides. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I, yeah, I'm, I'm big enough that my 11 year old, if you really, if you wanted to call it wrestling and wants to jump on my back, I don't know if I'm flexible enough to get him off yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll continue working on that. Merry Christmas, happy holidays guys. And uh, look forward to talking to you guys after, after the bowl game. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of our subscription promo for InsideNDSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to the site. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, where we were ahead of the curve on the Mike Dembrock news, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription on InsideNDSports.com. You can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Loud message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from ScubaVT on the Insider Lounge. How well do you think Steve Angeli will play in his first game as the starting quarterback for Notre Dame? Well, I think the Notre Dame offensive line will have a lot to say about that with some new pieces. Oregon State at full strength was the best run defense statistically on Notre Dame's schedule this season. They were 15th. There's still a lot of key pieces left in their front seven after their opt-out. So I figure schematically they're going to lean into that strength still. And Angeli's going to have to throw the ball some downfield effectively. Um, He's gotten some receivers back. He's lost some receivers notably Flores, Tobias, and uh, Tyree. So I think that's a little bit of a wash, although he gets different types of receivers. He gets some bigger receivers. I think he'll do well, but not overwhelmingly so. I think you'll be impressed with his poise and his preparation, maybe not glowing statistics. Yeah, I think I think they'll ask him to sort of manage the game. I don't know that they're going to put the game on Steve Angeli's shoulders. I I think it'll be a little bit up and down. I don't think it'll be like the kind of performance that makes people wonder why Notre Dame went out and got Riley Leonard. I, I don't know that he's going to be that impressive. And it's like, oh, man, they were really wasting their time with Riley Leonard. Look at Steve Angeli. Um, I just think there's going to be some natural struggles with the quarterback stepping into this situation, some timing issues with receivers, um, a patchwork offensive line that's that's coming together. Um, but I do think he'll be able to make some plays as well um, and be able to likely, in my opinion, lead Notre Dame to victory. All right, next question. Uh, and I should mention, like, 
uh, these questions were all submitted before the Dan Brock news broke. Um, so that's why our conversation with Bob was longer than usual. We wanted to get a lot of our thoughts in there, including what from Eric and I. Um, so none of these questions are Mike Denbrock related. So that's, that's why that is the case in case anyone is like, why are they talking? Why did no one have questions about Mike Denbrock? He says, well, we asked, we asked for questions before, before we, we let people, uh, uh, know what the Mike Denbrock situation was this morning. All right. Next question is from LDL go Irish on the inside lounge. Having watched Notre Dame's quarterbacks through the last few years, I would put Steve Angeli as a better and more fluent thrower than Tyler Buckner with more zip than Drew Pine. In my opinion, he compares favorably to Sam Hartman as a thrower of the football without the experience, obviously, and he is more mobile than Sam Hartman. However, Steve Angeli was a lower-level recruit than Tyler or Drew. What are Steve's weaknesses, strengths, and how will he perform when he gets this opportunity? Okay, so I'm not going to address the um, commentary. I'll let that stand. Um, I think what what – why maybe he was lower ranked than those guys and other people. He was hard to get a beat on because of COVID-19. He wasn't a guy that was a starter early in his career. He played at a really good high school program, Bergen Catholic in, in New Jersey. And um, his first year as a starter was when he was a junior. You didn't have a lot of national evaluations going on then during covid Bergen Catholic only played six games that year. So when he was, you know, being dubbed a three-star, you didn't have a lot of information to go on. And then once things kind of opened up and it was a senior year and so forth, and he put up some pretty decent numbers, you know, physically he doesn't bowl you over. He's not overly tall, doesn't have, you know, a Deshaun Kaiser home run arm. Um, doesn't have the dual threat stuff. But one thing I will say about Steve Angeli is he's built on his experience very well, that I see market improvement in him from year to year that's very impressive. I, I think his weaknesses maybe is that, again, he just doesn't have an overwhelming skill where other teams where he puts a defensive coordinator in a really difficult position. Uh, but if he can be extremely accurate and efficient, then maybe that becomes, you know, a skill, a, a strength that is something that other teams fear. Yeah. And he, he didn't have the the stats that a lot of the top quarterbacks in high school have. Uh, Bergen Catholic wasn't asking him to throw the ball over the field. I, I, as long as these stats are from NJ.com or to be trusted, which I think I find usually be they pretty, usually pretty good, pretty reliable. I think it looks like he only passed for more than 200 yards in two games as a senior. Um, he finished with 1700 on the season. He had a 15 to two touchdown interception ratio, So that's obviously good, but he just wasn't a guy that they asked to throw the ball much. He looked like he attempted more than 17 passes just once in a game. Um, so that's, it's just not a lot to go off of as a high school quarterback. And so I think there were some questions there and if he was amazing, wouldn't they, wouldn't they sort of ask him to do more at the high school level? Um, I just don't think he has like the, the, he's not, he doesn't have an incredible arm. I don't know that he has like anything that is like particularly well above average. Um, and I, and like 
to LDL's part or observation, I don't think he's more mobile than Sam Hartman. Maybe I don't know that Sam Hartman showed that a lot this past season, but I, I think in general, I would consider Sam Hartman a better athlete than Steve Angeli. Um, I think there's certainly room for disagreement there, but that's my perspective at least. Um, so I, I just don't think he's going to do a ton of things that wow people. And that's what kept his rating down. Um, and I think that's probably what we'll end up seeing from him in this game. I think there'll be some good moments and some bad moments. Um, I have been impressed with his touch on passes as of late in games. Um, so maybe that's where he'll be able to have some of his success in the Sun Bowl. All right. Next question is from at Flanner Jim. Love that Javante Jean-Baptiste got the captain role for the bowl. Seemed like a huge part of the great defense this year. Do we ever get to the bottom of his masked man persona on arrival? I think a lot of fans wish they got to know him better. I was actually fortunate enough to spend some time one-on-one with Javante before the season started. Um, That was before uh, his masked man persona was sort of (laughs) taken on during the during the uh, preseason camp when it's like July and he's, he's wearing basically a ski mask. It's like that can't be yeah. <laughs> helpful. Um, but yeah, I think it was, just, it's just sort of like him embracing this time to go to battle on the football field mode. And, and I, I thought the uh, Nana Osafa Menta, I thought I had the best quote about it. He said he called it his character loading moment. Like that's like him getting ready to get into character and become the, the player that he needed to be on the field. And so um, I think that uh, um, it's just all a part of him um, getting ready for what's asked of him. I think Notre Dame has certainly gotten a lot out of him. He's very appreciative for that. I I've re- I don't know that I, there's certainly – I could know him better, but I feel like I have a pretty good sense for him and it, just his appreciation for everything. He's a pretty laid-back guy, like, away from the field. Um, so I think that's part of him. Like, he sort of needs to get, get revved up and get ready to go for, for – the uh the violence on the football field there are some other guys that have expressed it a little bit differently howard cross likes to wear a lot of eye black all over his face so did kurt heinish mm-hmm. so did Khalid kareem so it, it's but I'll, i've never seen somebody wear uh a wool cap over their face in the summertime that's insane yeah all right next question is from ryan urquhart at urquhart uh crna how much will jack swarbrick be involved in the hiring of the new offensive coordinator or will pete bavacqua be leading this hire with coach freeman so since it's already happened we could say they were all in agreement it took money and commitment to lure denbrock away from lsu and then it was marcus's first choice um, and Jack Swarbrick has a history of Mike Denbrock, had a very high opinion of him. That's one of the reasons why he was willing to bump his salary up in 2015 and make him associate head coach at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't, none of this was done in a vacuum, but I think everybody got what they wanted and everybody cooperated. Yeah, and Pete Pavacqua had to be involved when we're talking about the dollar figures that's required that'll be on his budget moving forward. Like yeah. those are like problems that Jack Swarbrick doesn't have to worry about. So the the new athletic director has to have some voice in and and some um, understanding and, and agreement with that. So I think it was a a a, a group effort to make this happen, and certainly um, Jack Swarbrick's experience was something that was leaned on there um, as, as someone who's been involved in many of these situations. 
Next question is from Subway Domer DFW on the Insider Lounge. What are your thoughts on the lack of drama on the signing day? It seems like it's been quite controversial in South Bend the last few years. Do you think this was a broken clock or more like the staff learned something in their first year? What do you think was the main contributor to a more solid class? I asked Marcus that question in the press conference on Wednesday, and he talked kind of more in general terms about the maturity of this group, about the cohesion of the class. I think what he didn't say in that answer was that Notre Dame steered clear of guys that it didn't trust if they didn't trust their priorities. That And they also stayed on top of them relentlessly. You didn't also, I mean, when Marcus was the defensive coordinator, you know, Brian Kelly left right before signing day that year. So I think that was part of the drama there. Uh, trying to make sure that as many people would stay in the class as they could. But last year, I mean, the NIL dynamic was very different. And I think, you know, there were, there was at least one player in the class that kind of used Notre Dame as a placeholder to build other offers. Yeah. I think it, it, it can't get boiled down to just one thing. I, I do think, one of the probably the biggest thing was just that the guys at the top were bought in. I think, and that was not necessarily the case last year. Um, and when you have that, when you have a CJ Carr, you have a Kingston Villamuasa, you have a Cam Williams that are like, I don't care if our offensive coordinator changes, I don't care if my position coach changes. This is where I want to be. I don't care who's coming after me still. This is where I want to be. I think that matters. And those guys build relationships with each other because this recruiting process is such a long process now with these guys being recruited at such a young age that they, they do have like substantial relationships with the other guys in their class. I mean, when Marcus Freeman was a recruit, he was probably just getting to know some of the guys that he was going to be playing with um, around the time he signed with Ohio state. So I think that played a big role and Marcus Freeman sort of spoke to that as well. Um, Like I said earlier, I think that Notre Dame has done a good job in terms of both Marcus Freeman being at the head of being the, sort of the pitch man for Notre Dame and being the vision that people are buying into, but also him like explaining why you would come to Notre Dame beyond just the coaches um, and what one person can do for you. Um, So I think that those things um, played the biggest role in sort of Notre Dame having a quite frankly, boring signing day, which is a good thing. I see, I say boring in the most positive way (laughs) possible um, because, uh, that's exactly what you you would hope for. Now, I think sometimes you're going to, like, if you go for the five-star guys, like, you are going to get into these bidding wars sometimes. Um, and so Notre Dame has to figure out the best way to move forward with that. Um, because I do think, like, you obviously want to get more five-stars. Like, that is, that is still a goal. Um, but I think finding the right ones that you can get to commit to you and get to understand Notre Dame is where you're going to have the most success. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. Of the class of 2024 signees, who are the top five players that each of you think will have the most impact in the 2024 season? Yeah, and I and I emphasize in the 2024 season because some will impact bigger later in their careers. Yeah. Uh, so to me, where does talent meet immediate opportunity? So this is the list that I came up with. And I, I rolled the dice with a couple of these guys. I'm going to go with Cam Williams at number one. I think all three receivers will be freshman ready 
but I think Cam plays the position that has the biggest need uh, for somebody to get on the field as a freshman, that being that field outside receiver. Number two, I went with KVA, uh, Kingston Viliamu Asa. And the reason I went with him was because Marcus said he was the most college ready of all the freshmen. And also there's some opportunity there. Now it, it's curious where Jack Kaiser's, which position he's going to play. I think Drake Bowen has, has potential to be a starter, but I think Kingston could force his way into the lineup or at least deep into that rotation. Third, I went with Bronte Johnson, uh, the safety from Fort Wayne North. My hesitancy there was that he didn't play much safety, at least in the last year in high school. Why kind of green lighted him there is because he's a breathtaking athlete and he could adapt pretty quickly. And I think they'll have some need for rotational guys. I went with Bryce Young at the field end spot because I do think there will be a need there behind RJ Oban and Bryce has a big college body that might get him in the mix early. And there's a lot of uncertainty with the other guys and what their position is or what their health is. There's some good material there. And the last one I went with, is it Kedron or Kedron? Um, I think Young. it's Kedron. Kedron Young. I went with two Youngs and just, I know that there's going to be a lot of running backs, but he's 5'10", 225 now. He could maybe profile as a short yardage guy in Dillon McCullough. Dillon McCullough likes to roll everybody out there. He might be the third and fourth down back in that equation. Yeah, I have KVA, Cam Williams, and Bryce Young also on my list, so I won't spend a, a lot more time talking about those guys. Like you said, KVA is, I think, the most – college ready which was what marcus freeman said when i asked him about him um cam williams i think is the best at separating um in terms of which receivers um and bryce young i think is also the most physically ready of the defensive linemen um and the the strong side defensive end like it's sort of up for grabs behind rj Oban, i think um so i think there's an opportunity there i went with micah gilbert as the other wide receiver that i think i could that could make a difference next year and make an impact just I, and if it's not McGilbert, it could certainly could be Logan Saldate um I just think there's still going to be opportunities for the freshman receivers this year or next year and then for my fifth one I went with Logan Thomas another defensive end uh more likely a viper guy than a strong side guy but I do think that he has the sort of freakish athleticism and length that I think if you find a role here or there for him um maybe you can do that so I I thought about Tay Johnson. I just don't know that he's like a, a developed enough player to make that because I do think there is opportunity at safety, but I don't know that Notre Dame has the safeties in this class that can that are ready to play right away. So that's why I didn't include Tay Johnson or or any of the other safeties. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Which signee is your can't miss pick? And which signee do you see as a potential sleeper? Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas, Charles. I, I'm going to go with Kingston, Viliamu, Asa. Um, I think there's some other guys that you could you could pick, but I'm going to go with him. And then for the sleepers, so I feel like a sleeper can't be a Rivals 250 guy. So I went with Logan Saldate on offense and Bodie Cahoon on defense. 
All right. Well, I went deeper sleepers because I think you can't be a four star to be a sleeper. Um, and there are unless there are only four stars in the class, then, but Notre Dame's not recruiting at that level quite yet. So the three stars in the class are Carson Hobbs, Anthony Knapp, Cole, Cole Mullins, t- uh, Teddy Rezac, and Tabron Benny Powell. I went with Mullins. He did not play as a senior, so that didn't. I I liked him as a sleeper when he first committed to Notre Dame. I was like, man, this guy. He's not necessarily your prototypical defensive end. He's listed as an outside linebacker on rivals. Um, has a little bit of a size deficiency, I think. Um, two four, 240 pounds. So he's got some room to grow there. And I don't know that he's even the 6'4 that he's listed at. But I just, I really like the tenacity that he plays with. So I, I, I went with him. If I, if Eric had picked him as well, Rezac was going to be my second choice. I just like his athleticism. Um, at the linebacker level that I think we'll, we'll be able to develop and grow into a, a pretty good player for Notre Dame. All right, next question is from ND on the road on the Insider Lounge. What is your favorite National Signing Day moment in the years you have covered Notre Dame? It was hard to get this one out of my head, especially since Mike Varell, a former colleague of ours, tweeted it out this week. And it was Brian Kelly in the stage phone call to from Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa on signing day. Jeremiah had been committed to Virginia and decommitted and came down to Notre Dame and Michigan State, I believe. And it, he was a three-star guy, so that it, people didn't realize they were getting a unanimous All-American. But Brian Kelly so botched that, that Jeremiah almost hung up waiting for Brian Kelly to answer the phone. He thought he messed up. And just... <laughs> Brian did everything wrong in the stage phone call. And what was really hilarious, there was a guy next to me from one of our competitors who was just outraged. He, he, it was like he wanted an investigation into this <laughs> fake phone call. So that was, I mean, that was just priceless. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, I don't know if it's recency bias, but I was real. I really was impressed with the the speech that Kingston Villamuasa gave i don't know if everyone has seen that if you haven't i'd encourage you to look at it um you can get it um actually it's funny the um maybe not funny but uh the person who tweeted it out is dave Uyunglele, which is the father of dj and mateo um the quarterback and defensive end respectively that they played at st john bosco he he tweeted out a video so it's on his twitter account um if you haven't seen it and we put it on the inside lounge message board i even included it in my story a column that I wrote uh, on signing day. Um, it was just a really cool moment, the way he sort of talked about his decision to go to St. John Bosco. And then I think it's also pretty parallel to his decision to go to Notre Dame and the relationships um, and and maybe not choosing the, the, the thing that was the most popular, but what he felt was best for him, him and his family felt was best for him and his growth as a person um, and player. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um Another one in terms of like a decision that went Notre Dame's way, like the Kingston Villiamo speech, uh, Asap speech wasn't like, like there was no like doubt that he was coming to Notre Dame. Dexter Williams picked Notre Dame over Miami on a signing day. There was that, that recruiting cycle includes, included some social media back and forth from the Miami coaching staff about the weather in Miami and how much better it was than South Bend. So it was kind of funny to see that, that Notre Dame was able to beat Dexter Williams out. Um, for a for a Florida kid beat out Miami for a Florida kid in Dexter Williams. All right, next one is from Lynn K at Carnoustie eighteenth. Update as to the Wake Forest wide receiver transfer candidate. 
You want me to take the lead on this one, Eric? Yeah, I'm going to let you take the lead because you are all over that. Yeah, Jamal Banks is is the name of the Wake Forest wide receiver. He was their leading receiver last season. Um, visited Notre Dame and three other schools before um, the dead period started. He's not ready to make a decision. The latest is he's looking to make a Michigan visit in the January window. That's allowed for for mid-year transfers. Um, so uh, to me, that's, that's a sign that he's not going to end up at Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame's starting to look into some other options to p- potentially host during that, that time frame as well. So unless something changes, I don't think that, uh, Jamal Banks is going to end up at Notre Dame. All right. Next question is from Bob Oxnard on the inside lounge. Would you take another nickel back from the portal this spring? If a good one becomes available. If he can be a rotational safety as well, like somebody Ramon Henderson would be a comp, I guess, would be, I think then then it makes sense. But if he's a corner and he's a nickel guy and you're recruiting him as a backup, I wonder how, if he's going to be better than Clarence Lewis or Micah Bell in that role. And then you have a pretty deep safe or cornerback room already. So if he can be a rotational safety, I'd say yes. Yeah, I think the 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 order of priority needs to be safety over nickelback. So if there's maybe a guy that can do both, that would that would be the the potential need there. I, I think it it would right. be. T- I'm saying in addition to the safety, uh, you know, that so you so you would you would you would be get, on board with taking a safety and another defensive back in the spring. If if he has that kind of right flexibility, yes. Okay, just a guard against injury and i mean and and if you have the numbers that you can do it because there's still guys that are going to peel off the roster i mean notre dame's at 89 right now so they're still looking to add so there's still going to be some departures yeah and there still is this january window where guys can notre dame can still host guys that i think notre dame could still end up with someone um that could end up enrolling in january now it's a tighter window but there could be guys that haven't even entered the portal yet that maybe want to go through the bowl process um, and then enter the portal. Um, so I think there is a chance for Notre Dame to still make some additions there. I don't, I can't tell you who that would be at this point. Um, but uh, I, I think that there's still some time to do some additions before the spring starts. All right. Next question is from Mac underscore Corona. It appears Notre Dame will be hitting the portal every year in the future to get a seasoned graduate transfer kicker. Do you ever foresee Notre Dame bringing in and developing a freshman kicker like they did with Justin Yoon? Marty Biaggi, when we spoke to him near the end of the season on a Tuesday night, didn't rule it out, but he gave a convincing argument on why it'll be difficult to commit to somebody like that. It's just you have this track record of somebody that you know can make the field goals, you know can do the kickoffs and kick them through the end zone. There's so many variables about high school kickers that can go wrong. Now, if you had the allotment of two kickers that could be on scholarship, then you could play with that a little bit. But when it's really down to one, it makes it difficult to commit to a freshman who may have some growing pains or may not pan out. Yeah. And I think it's, if it's, if it is to happen that way, I think it would be more likely to be a walk-on at this point, which I think is still possible to do. And especially if, teams like Notre Dame are trending in this direction. Maybe there's less scholarships available to high school recruits. And so it's easier to get a really talented walk on um, in in your program as a kicker. 
Um, and so I think that would be the more likely route, but um, you certainly can't rule anything out. And if, I, it, I mean, it only takes one cycle of you, this not going well for you to maybe reevaluate your thoughts. So um, I think Notre Dame has to at least keep it, its options open, excuse me, um, to, to figure out the best way forward. All right, next question is from TCND543 on the Inside Lounge. With all the FBS head coach jobs filled, barring any surprises like Jason Candle filling a Power 5 coordinator role and Toledo's job opening or some other one I'm not versed in, are we Irish fans feeling good about Al Golden sticking around? Would he jump to an NFL DC gig if one opens up? Is he being picky? He's put himself in position to be picky. Um, and a lot of the jobs that would be attractive to him are not open yet. The the NFL carousel hasn't really kicked into anything but a pretty low gear right now. So the the timing for that is going to be you know late January ish um, when those jobs open. So am I feeling good about Golden sticking around? I would. I, it wouldn't shock me, but I would think that it's more likely than not he will have a job that's very attractive to him that he would move on for. Yeah, I do feel comfortable comfortable with him staying. I mean, I wouldn't rule anything out. I know, I, I think it was on Football Never Sleeps we were asked about who who would be on our list of most likely to be the next head co- or next assistant coach to leave, and Golden was not my top guy. Um, so I do think there's a pretty good chance that he returns. So I think we're on opposite sides here. I just don't know that the NFL opportunities are going to be there. Um, and if they are, I think it would be a pretty short list. So um, I, w- I would lean towards him being back rather than not being back. All right. Uh, last question we have is from NWI underscore Irish 96 on the insider lounge. Any particular reason for the delay in announcing next season's 12th game? Not a good one. Um, I think that uh in general, I mean, Notre Dame is has a roadmap when they like to do things. I, not having the 2024 schedule yet seems a little bit cheesy when, and maybe there's some final negotiations with either the venue or the date or whatever that they're still playing with. But I, I assume it's going to be Army. It's going to be in Yankee Stadium. That'll be November 23rd. But um you know, we'll see. And and maybe, you know, Army moving into a conference complicated their schedule a little bit, but I I would assume that it's going to be in a reasonable amount of time. I don't think there's a great reason for holding back. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's on Army's end rather than Notre Dame's end, if if that's what we believe it's gonna be. Um I just, I just was I because NWI Irish asked this question. I did some poking around on what Army has reported in terms of its schedule for next season. It, it is it is said that the full schedule with dates and times isn't supposed to be announced until February, and that's as it relates to the AAC conference um, schedule. They they have announced their eight home and away opponents from the conference, but that was just nine days ago. That was December thirteenth. Uh, it is t- so currently. Army has 10 total games on its schedule, um, and that includes the eight conference games in Air Force and Navy. Um, but if you look at, like, FBS schedules, which I know usually has, like, 
kept track of the things that have been previously announced. There's 15 opponents listed on army schedule for next season. And one of them isn't Notre Dame. So there, that just sort of illustrates the amount of juggling that army has been doing to sort of revamp its 2024 schedule. So I think that's probably what's held things up in terms of this being totally finalized. And um, I still would think this is where it ends up going. Um, um, and if not, Notre Dame probably needs to have a backup plan. I don't know what that backup plan would be, but um, Tennessee State, just kidding. It, it'll probably get taken care of. It's not something that I've spent a lot of time worrying about. Tennessee State at Dollywood. All right. Well, that is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who made the nice list this year. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideNDSports.com, so please take advantage of that with the code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D. With Christmas and travel for the Sun Bowl next week, we're going to skip out on recording a podcast before the game, so our apologies for that, but we will be live on YouTube on Tuesday night for Football Never Sleeps, and then we'll have our post-game takeaways on YouTube as well late after the game on Friday. I hope you have a Merry Christmas to all of our listeners and happy holidays. If you have some downtime between now and then, you know where to find us, insideindiesports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs.